0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the TBH Sports Podcast. I am your host, Tyler Henry. It is great to be alongside you here, uh, recording this on a Sunday, posting it on a Monday. It's good to be back. It's been a couple of weeks um, since we were last able to do this. And, and when I say we, I really do mean we. There, there is a group um, that helps me do this podcast. If you haven't already picked up on it, Alex Weiner, Cokie Riley, Ethan Jordan, Jordan Foote, plenty of great stars and plenty of good guests that we've had on the show Um, But yeah, it's been a couple of weeks. Um, Just a lot going on here in North Carolina. I know I try not to get into personal stuff too often, um, but just starting things up with a new job. Of course, high school basketball season got started in Kansas this week. Um, Plenty of articles to write with that, and and just to kind of keep myself under, just to keep myself in a good spot mentally. um, Just didn't try to push it with the podcast. But we are back. That is the important thing, and let's get right into it. We've got plenty of good action to break down here from Sunday, a Sunday that saw an excellent Formula One race earlier in Bahrain, and a Sunday full of football action. But let's start with Formula One, and here to help me do that, it's F1 aficionado, host of the Show Must Grow Jean podcast, and Blaze Radio sports director, Ethan Jordan, friend of the show. Ethan, thank you so much for coming on again.
1: Always good to talk about Formula One. Glad to be back.
0: All right. Well, let's get right into it. Uh, A heck of a race today. I did want to really quickly bring up one thing from last week, and then we'll jump right into it. Uh, the Roman Grosjean crash. We haven't had a chance to talk about th- that on this show yet, so I did want to just bring that up briefly. Um, Halo technology confirmed as a great thing, and I think that that debate has been permanently put to bed. Would you agree?
1: I agree, and it has been permanently put to bed for Roman Grosjean, who actually was one of the guys who was who was kind of soft on the Halo. He didn't he didn't want it. <laughs> he said something the other day. He was like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm glad glad they didn't listen to me. I'm glad that was in place." and thank god for the halo because it's it truly saved roman Grosjean's life the other week that and it's the nature of the sport i think will buxton put it best he uh, he sent out a tweet after the crash and said and after having seen all that 19 young men will strap themselves back into the cars and go racing truly a different breed
0: mhm yeah no absolutely it's the sport man mm mm-hmm. mhm it uh, It's crazy to think, again, a guy who was against it, but it saved his life 100%. I mean, you watch that crash from all the angles. There is no way he walks away from that crash, certainly not with nothing worse than a couple of broken ribs and some burns on his hands um if if that technology is not in place so absolutely amazing the strides that F1 has made let's jump into this week's race we've got a lot to talk about from Bahrain and i really you know i want to just go from bottom to top on the finishing line um we're not going to talk about everybody we don't have time for that we've got a lot to talk about today but Let's start by talking about the two guys that did, or two of the three guys that did not cross the finish line, and that was Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc, who had an incident early on with Sergio Perez, who would go on to win the race. Ethan, I remember you texted me while I was fiddling with my YouTube TV account, trying to get the race onto TV. You were, uh, you were mentioning that. I saw the replays. You saw it live. Take me through what you saw in that crash. Who you think may or may not be at fault? And really just kind of the overall takeaway from that incident at the beginning that knocked out two guys who could have won it today.
1: Yeah, it was that turn two that had been bugging drivers all through practice and into qualifying. It had been a bit of a sticky spot, and it came true on race day. as Well, interestingly enough, we know Max Verstappen to be an aggressive racer, maybe do some knuckleheaded things once in a while. It was actually Charles Leclerc who made the knuckle-headed move that caused this crash. He bumped into Sergio Perez, sent him spinning, and Max Verstappen just kind of got caught up in the action. This was no fault of Max's, and both he and Leclerc made that very clear in their post-race conferences. In fact, Max was like, Charles better apologize for this. This was on him. And Max kind of kicked the wall walking away from his car. He was really frustrated because, of course, Lewis Hamilton – not in the race this week. He tested positive for COVID-19, and George Russell, who we will get into, was racing for him. But I bring up George Russell because this the start to this race was so incredibly close. They were so tight coming out of the gate that I think it partially caused this crash going into turn two. I mean, every start of an F1 race is white-knuckled, even for me as a fan, because you know that's where the cars are bunched together and things happen. And it certainly happened this week and happened to two guys who were hoping to get on the podium, if not win the
2: race.
0: Yeah, I think the thing that the thing to remember at the beginning of these races, like, obviously by lap four, lap five, you know, Mercedes and Red Bull, they're going to be out in the front. The midfield is going to be where they are. Williams is going to be at the back, usually with, you know, Alfa Romeo, whoever else is back there. But you're right. I mean, at the beginning... It's absolute mayhem and you really think like at times you'll see crashes between just two, sometimes three cars going through this turn. When you have 20 of those cars trying to go through the turn and trying to weave in and out of each other, it really is hectic. I mean, the beginning of an F1 race is absolute chaos. So, you know, a racing incident at the end of the day. I'm not sure if we're going to see any any real, you know, penalties handed out by the FIA with all of this. Um, But yeah, at the end of the day, a a racing incident, I think Leclerc definitely, I would say more at fault than certainly than Verstappen. It's also funny because I've had a couple of people who I've actually gotten into Formula One that have asked me, they're like, you know, how do they not just stop? Because it, it looks like everything is happening in slow motion. But you have to remember when you're talking about cars that go upwards of 200 plus miles per hour, these cars don't just come to a stop. And that's why it looks painfully slow as they're just sliding into the wall. But all it takes is a little bit of contact there at the end and they are out. And
2: it's really important to remember
1: that the brakes on these F1 cars do not work the same way as the brakes on your Honda Civic. (laughs) No. They're very different. I mean, if you just slam on the brakes of an F1 car, there's no ABS. There's no anti-locking brakes. You're going to go sliding and
2: flying around. I encourage anyone who says, oh, why don't they just, you know, stop. Play the F1 video game. Mm -hmm. I know that sounds silly, (laughs) but take
1: all the, all the, the cheats off. Take off all the, you know, things that help you out. Put on everything, everything on manual, and try and just, just, just try and drive the car once around the track. You're gonna have a tough time. It is incredibly hard to drive these cars. It's not like
2: a regular driving experience.
0: Well, yeah, the steering wheel on an F1 car looks like a control panel from a spaceship from Star Wars. I mean, it just, it just does. Um, yeah, they've got a lot that they have to worry about. I agree. The video game. If you haven't had a chance to play the F1 game, it is an absolute joy. But we've got a lot to talk about with this race, so we'll go ahead and move on um, for right now. Let's not let's really not waste any time talking about Nicholas Latifi. I, you know he he DNFs today. It's not a big deal. It's Nicholas Latifi. Williams is still bad. Whatever. I did, however, it was a big deal.
1: However, his DNF was the biggest deal in this race. But we'll get into that.
0: Of course, of course. Um, his DNF sets some stuff up later on that we will get into that. Yes. But in terms of Latifi himself, not that big of a deal. I did want to talk to you really quickly about two guys that placed P16 and P17. They were both at the back of the back of the track, but both making their Formula One debuts. And that's Jack Aitken and Pietro Fittipaldi, two guys that step in and replace a couple of other drivers in a crazy week. Of course, Roman Grosjean out, as we mentioned, um, Nicholas, or as we mentioned, um, Lewis Hamilton also out due to COVID-19 and George Russell stepping up to take his spot. So they slot in, you know, we really didn't get a lot, of ch- a chance to really see them because they were at the back of the pack, but it is kind of, you know, just, it's just interesting to see a couple guys that might be, you know, stepping into some big roles in F1 in the next five or six, maybe seven years, um, kind of getting a shot here.
1: The cool thing with Pietro Philodepaldi is he is the first American born racer to drive in the American owned Haas car. So that was cool. Hmm. He was born in Miami.
0: I did not know that, actually. I'm so used to these guys all being European. Um, <laughs> yeah,
1: he, he, he races under a Brazilian license, but he did. He was born in the
0: United States. All right, fair enough. Um, a couple other guys that we will not waste any time on. Kevin Magnussen finishes P16. Kimi Raikkonen P15. Or sorry, Magnussen's 15. Raikkonen 14. Antonio Giovinazzi P13. Sebastian Vettel P12. Pierre Gasly P11. Lando Norris P10. Here's where it gets fun. George Russell finishes P9. Now, George Russell should have probably finished P1. Uh, It was heartbreaking for Russell. Not only was he in a position to win the race, he had never scored a point in Formula One before. Certainly not this season in the Williams. He's been at the back of the track the entire time. And yet, when he steps into this supercar that Mercedes has built... Not only was he one of the fastest drivers on the grid, he was outpacing his teammate with the exception of qualifying, certainly in the race, and was slated to finish P1. But, number one, Mercedes dropped the ball today, which is something that we have not seen in a very, very long time. They end up mixing up the tires as they try to stack and have George Russell and Valtteri Barras come into pit one after another. So, that causes... Pierre, or that causes George Russell to have to come in for a second time. He drops down the grid to P5, but the second we go racing again out of that safety, or out of the safety car, he goes on a tear, catches up, and passes Carlos Sainz, does the same to Lance Stroll, does the same to Esteban Ocon. It's looking great for him, and then he picks up a little bit of degree, a puncture on that rear right tire, has to come in for another pit, and ends up having to fight his way back to P9. A lot to unpack there, Ethan, but overall, I think the takeaway is this kid's got a bright future in Formula One ahead of him.
1: No doubt, uh, Tito Wolf said it. Or yeah, Toto Wolff said it today. A star is born. That was his quote, and there's no doubt this kid is the real deal. I mean, I'm, you remember back to the summer he he won the virtual Grand Prix. That's well and good, and that's a good simulator. But what happens when you actually get out on the track? And it's clear that George Russell has terrific pace and terrific poise. He just got really unlucky today, and it goes back to that. ENF by Nicholas Latifi. He crashed, and it caused a safety car to come out that brought Russell back to the pack. That's when Mercedes quickly decided to double stack and have both him and Valtteri Budass come in to pit, and that's where they made the mistake with the tires. So that Latifi crash was really a big deal for Russell. He just got really unlucky today, as did his teammate. I mean, just the luck was not on the side of the Mercedes this evening or last evening. I don't know how that works in Bahrain. But one thing I will say for George Russell, here's a stat for you. George Russell has led more laps this season than anyone on on the F1 grid, not named Valtteri, Budass, and Lewis Hamilton.
0: Wow. That's, That's incredible. It's not shocking, just given that the only other person that I think would be up there would be potentially Max Verstappen. But the problem with Verstappen is... He's DNF'd so many races. He hasn't even really had the chance to be up there. So yeah, that's that's interesting. Um that in just one race George Russell could do that. It's also interesting that the guy who screwed him over in, in inadvertently was his uh his normal teammate in Nicholas Latifi. Um yeah, a lot going on today. I think the crazy thing for me was again just when they double stacked, they mixed they mixed up the tire sets. Um that was just very un-Mercedes-like. And I understand that in the heat of battle, things happen. But the other person that was a victim today was Valtteri Bottas, who has been having problems like this throughout the entire season. He he has just gotten so unlucky, and it happens again today. He sits in the pit for what felt like probably, what, 20 seconds maybe before they got the tires back on. Um, And once they realized their mistake, they just threw him back on his old hard tires, which they called him into pit because they were too old. So they sent him back out on a pair of very worn tires. Did not call him back in again. He ends up finishing P8. But, man, I, I feel like for Valtteri Bottas, this had to feel like an opportunity going into this race. He was sitting on pole position. The person that is in his uh, his equal machinery car is this 22-year-old kid instead of the greatest world champion that's ever lived. And he ends up finishing this race P8. Just another really rough day uh, on the bad luck side of things for Valtteri Bottas.
1: Yeah, uh- descriptor of Valtteri this season is the image of him sitting in the pit while they try and fix the tires with his brakes on fire. <laughs> That's been his season, man. I mm-hmm. feel for Valtry butas he's a great guy and a talented driver and because he races next to Lewis Hamilton, he gets a lot of crap and people are like, oh, look at this. He's, he's just not actually fast. Yes, he is a fast driver. Relax. Stop this. I, I mean, is he, is he the second best driver on the grid? No. But he is an incredible driver and There's way too much hate. If he drove for, like, Renault, people would be all on board the Valtteri Bottas train. I promise you.
0: Yeah, I think Valtteri Bottas is... I think he's for sure probably a top five driver on the grid, undoubtedly. Um, I also want to extend an invitation to a lot of people, and most of these people only exist on Twitter, and you can never really tell how serious people are being on Twitter, but I saw several comments when George Russell's topping the charts and everything, and they're like, ah well, it's just the car, you know, and this this really just takes away from Lewis Hamilton's legacy as well because the car is just so good. Shut up. Like, it's one of the most ridiculous things that I've ever heard in my life. First of all, the fact that George Russell was able to step into a car that he was not familiar with, and we've seen drivers struggle in that situation before. He stepped in and outpaced his teammate. Secondly, Max Verstappen is able to get more out of his car than what any of his teammates before him had done. So, you can't just look at it from a pure perspective of the car. Yes, Mercedes has a rocket ship, and they're going to be top of the grid every year. And more than likely, whoever's in the driver's seat for them is probably going to be finishing in the top three pretty consistently. But let's not act like, because the car is so good, that detracts from anything that the drivers are doing. Because that's simply not that's simply not fair. The car is the single most important piece yes.
2: of an F1 race. That is this... If you had to pick one thing, would you rather have a good driver or a good car?
1: good car is the first thing you're going to select every time. But I do agree with you that doesn't mean that you can't take away from what the drivers have done. The absolute dominance that Lewis Hamilton has shown over his career, that, that's not because of a car. It's partly because of a car. Don't get me wrong. If Lewis Hamilton was in a McLaren his entire career, he's not Lewis Hamilton. But the way that George Russell handled this race today, he, didn't, he wasn't just out ahead. He was cooking today. I mean, I I truly wish Max Verstappen hadn't crashed in the first lap. Yeah, I think that would have been a battle. I, that's that's why you wake up in the morning. Granted, for you it was the afternoon. <laughs> now, why why can't every race be at ten a.m. First of all, that's I agree. My time noon for you, but that's what you wake up for for this race because of the great racing that was going to happen without Lewis Hamilton obviously leading the pack, and then you get two of those racers knocked out in the first lap, and then George Russell has his problems. But it did set us up for an exciting finish, I will say, even though Russell had those issues.
0: It's cer- some
2: exciting laps of racing at the end.
0: It certainly did. Um, before we move on, I just want to ask if you have any more comments on George Russell. Um, any Anything else you want to add before we move on from Mercedes?
1: No, the, ki- the kid's a stud. What, what can you say? He, he He's a great driver, and he's going to be around for a long time. Yeah, yeah, you really feel for him that he didn't win the race today because he was the best driver out there in, in the best car today, but he's going to have his shot plenty, plenty more times. He, he's here to stay, folks, and we may see him in a Mercedes sooner than you think. I don't know.
0: Yeah, two two things I want to say really quickly before we move on. Number one, you mentioned getting up for these races, and when I was in central time, it was a little tougher, but... I typically will wake up to watch these races. I think there have only been a few that I've missed this year. Um, this is the first time that I had like on my calendar just circled in red because there was no way that I was going to miss this to see, especially after the practice sessions where Russell was topping the charts. The other thing that I wanted to say, I don't know if you remember this or not. You came on the podcast probably four or five weeks ago. We talked about Formula One, and you said – If you had to take a frisky pick of someone you thought might win a world championship in the next decade, you said it might be George Russell. And I'm telling you, man, if they decide to move on from Valtteri Bottas, or if we get to a point where Lewis Hamilton loses his fastball and decides it's time to step down, and George Russell steps into that Mercedes seat, I don't care what kind of FIA regulations there are, look out. Because this kid is going places. Um. Taking a look a little further up the grid. Uh, not going to talk too much about Daniel Kivat. He finishes in P7. We'll talk about Alex Albon later. I don't really have much to add on him here. He finishes P6. Danny Rick finishes P5. Carlos Sa- Carlos Sainz finishes P4. And the only thing that I want to say about Carlos Sainz really quickly. Um, let's talk about unlucky drivers. Carlos Sainz, most of his DNS have been crashes that were not his fault. That were caused by somebody else. And then today, they call him in for a pit. And the second he gets into the pit lane, the virtual (laughs) safety car ends. And the people at McLaren are just scratching their heads like, this happens again? Um, But regardless, he still still managed to finish P4. Not a podium today, but I thought a very good drive, um, especially given some of the adversity he had to overcome for Carlos Sainz today.
1: Yeah, really good drive for Carlos. I mean, Sainz and Budass are in a tight competition for unluckiest drivers on the grid. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I tend to lean towards Valtteri on being more unlucky, but I'll give Carlos Sainz this. Not only is he unlucky like during race day, but this is the guy who decided to move from McLaren to, to Ferrari <laughs> the year that Ferrari decided to mess up their car. So, I don't know, man. It's just a tough beat for him. I agree, though. I think he had a great drive today. He was terrific.
0: Certainly. So, let's talk about the three gentlemen that ended up on the podium. At the At Taking home the bronze medal today, Lance Stroll. Uh, this was important for Lance. Granted, he didn't beat his teammate. Uh, Checo Perez gets the win, but he had kind of turned into the weak link here in the last five or six races. He had a really, really great start to the season. We were all talking about, man, like I I think during our mid-season report, we said he has really been one of the biggest stars. I think that's kind of come out of this year. And then suddenly not so much. He had a couple of tough DNFs. He had a couple of races where he was kind of just doing that Alex Albon thing where he was... You know, we didn't really see him for the entire race, and then he would finish, like, P9, P10. Um, He had a good drive today, and again, there was some adversity. He had science on his tail there at the tail end, but he was still able to finish P3. A great day for Racing Point, thanks in part to Lance Stroll.
1: Yeah, no, he had a good drive. Not a perfect drive. Even he was a little disappointed with his performance. I think he thought he could get out there and place P2, maybe even P1. When he and Checo were going at it, he really he didn't feel like he was getting enough power out of his car. But yeah, no, good, another good drive for Lance Stroll. He, he's a good driver. I don't know if he's better than Sergio Perez, if you're racing point to keep him on instead of Checo, but he's a good driver and solid P3 finish. And I think this is just show, a showcase of how good this racing point team is this season and moving
0: forward. Absolutely. Uh, let's talk about one and two, and let's start with number two. This was a great day for Esteban Akan. Gets his first career podium in Formula One, finishes second. I think he'll take that result. Obviously, I'm sure he would have loved the win, but man, what a day. It seemed like, you know, they went with the undercut early to try to get out ahead of McLaren and, and Carlos Sainz. It worked to perfection. He ends up staying ahead of his teammate. And when all is said and done, he finishes P2. This is by far, in my, and from everything that I've seen, from everything that I've researched from, you know, past years where I wasn't watching F1, this is, without a doubt, the best drive of Esteban Ocon's life.
1: Oh, no doubt. And what a great moment for Esteban, who has had an absolutely brutal season. He just has not been able to figure out things with the Renault. Sometimes it's been the car. Sometimes it's been him. He just has not had a season to remember. But he's able to top it off with his first podium. I mean, just the emotion on the podium today. I know we all wanted to see George Russell up there winning his first race, having not even scored a point enough. one I know we missed that, but you just had to be so happy for the guys up there. I mean, Akan and Perez coming in to the lane after the race. I mean, both guys were just in tears. Argon couldn't even speak. I mean, it was such a great moment to see those guys up there. And they were just so emotional with their first podium and first win,
2: respectively. I mean, it, it was enough to choke you up a little bit.
0: Yeah, when when this race started, my only thought was... And I have nothing against him, obviously. I, I have no problem with him, you know, personally, professionally. But I was actively rooting against Valtteri Buttas in this race. Because I knew that with Lewis Hamilton out, and with George Russell up there at the top, and with some of the other guys like Checo who qualified in a really good spot, we might get to see some stuff that we've never seen before. And that's exactly what we ended up getting. And, and you know, I feel like if you're a movie producer and this this race was your final scene, um, you probably ride it up to where I think Checo gets the win, I think Russell finishes P2, and now he's got his whole, you know, whatever we're going into the future with, um, and Ocon gets his first uh, his first career podium. But regardless, a phenomenal result um, for Ocon, as we mentioned, but also for the man of the hour, Sergio Perez, you alluded to it a little bit earlier, and let's also not forget... Perez was involved in the incident that knocked Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc out of the race at the beginning. He took a pretty good hit, had to pit early on in this race, fights all the way back through the field, and finishes on the top step, his first career F1 win. And before we talk about the career implications, he was magnificent today. His drive was phenomenal.
1: Yeah, you could say, oh man, he should have won that race because Mercedes messed up and that's the reason he won. The dude came from P20 to win the race. Give this man his due. Even (laughs) when he wins his first Formula One race, he still doesn't get the love. It's still, oh, well, George Russell, this. Forget that. Sergio Perez deserved this podium and this win. He finally got it today. As you said, we'll get into the career implications and that
2: (laughs) total nonsense. But, I mean, what? That's just
1: huge for Checo, for him to just say, yeah, all right, guys, I I see you. I don't have a seat right now, but oh, 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 I won a Grand Prix. Oh, Grand Prix winner, uh, Sergio Perez. Let me put that on my resume. Okay, I see you. This dude has been around for so long and has been a rock-solid driver in the middle midfield at Racing Point and formally, formally force India by the way, big shout out to the uh, twenty eighteen force India team for <laughs> p one and p two today but yeah this is this is huge for checo it's about time right
0: yeah i i you know I remember you and I having a discussion about Sergio Perez before the season started, and i kept I kept saying, I was like, dude, I think Perez is better than he gets credit for when we were kind of building our f one fantasy teams. You look at what he was able to do with a car that was consistently not very good at Force India. It was it was okay, but it wasn't good. Um, and, and you look at how consistently he was able to beat his teammate, no matter who that was, whether it was Esteban Ocon, whether it was somebody else, whether it was Lance Stroll. I think he, do, he doesn't just deserve a seat in Formula One, which it's a it's a crime that he doesn't have. He also probably deserves a seat in one of the better cars because we saw what he could do with it this year. The man is fourth. In world championship points, I believe, is fourth. It's it's Lewis Hamilton, the greatest seven-time world championship that's ever champion that's ever lived. It's Max Verstappen, who is either the most or the second most talented driver on the grid, depending on who you ask. It's Valtteri Bottas, who has the same broken OP car that Lewis Hamilton has, and then of everyone else and everything else that's happened this year, with with COVID. With the teams, the issues, with the cars, Sergio Perez is the next best driver on the grid, and he's not going to have a seat next year. And I'm just going to go ahead and bring this up now. I was planning on saving this until later, but I'm already fired up about this. There are only two seats left in Formula One that have not been confirmed for 2021. Let me just tell you who they are. Red Bull has not confirmed that Alex Albon will be their driver for next year yet. They have confirmed Max Verstappen. And Alpha AlphaTauri, for what it's worth, has not confirmed Danny Kvyat will be returning next season. I think it would be a shame if he drops to being basically a glorified Red Bull replacement driver, but I also don't know that Red Bull's ready to move on from Alex Albon. So here's my, here's my thought. If Sergio Perez actually does have to take a season off from Formula One, he might end up in a better spot than if he rushes back and gets himself into like an AlphaTauri seat or something like that. But the fact that he might be out of F1 next year after doing what he did this season in that racing point is a crime.
1: Checo said it today. He said he has options for 2022. That's what that's how he put it. He'll be back in F one. He is going to be back in 2022. There is no doubt in my mind, even if he leaves this season. He also mentioned today that not all the best drivers are in F one. He's probably right about that. But there this is this is the number one goal though. This is this is Main Street. F one is where you want to be if you're a driver. And I think think it bugs Checo a little bit more than he lets on that he doesn't have a seat. He is a better driver than Alex Albon. Plain and simple. I like Alex Albon. I am an Alex Albon defender. Checo's a better driver than he is. And and if you're Red Bull and you're serious about contending with Mercedes a little bit next year, kind of putting the pressure on a bit, that's the guy you want in your second seat. Him and Verstappen together would be terrific for two reasons. One, they're just two of the best drivers on the grid. But two... Max Verstappen, he's a volatile driver. He's going to go out, he's going to do his thing, and sometimes it's going to end up really well. He's going to P1, P2, great. But sometimes he's going to DNF because he does some knuckleheaded things. Perez is the opposite. He's a very steady driver, not going to take a lot of dumb, unnecessary risks. So I think it's a good balance for Red Bull. I like the construction of that team if they're able to get Perez on there. I think it's a pipe dream, though. I kind of doubt that. Make a move.
2: I think they stick with Albon for next year.
0: I think it, I think it's a pipe dream for 2021. I don't think it's a pipe dream for 2022. Because I'll tell you what, if they give Albon the green light for the next for next year and he does basically what he did this year, he's done. He's done at Red Bull. He, he's not done at F1. He'll find a seat. Um, but I don't think I, I can't see Christian Horner sticking with a guy that's not producing like that. Let me also tell you, you, you said he's better than Alex Albon. I agree. You know who else? Uh, you know who else? Checo is a lot better than as a driver just on principle. Sebastian Vettel, who's taking his seat. I don't understand why they wanted to go with Vettel. I get that he's a veteran, but man, you talk about a guy who's lost his fastball. Sebastian Vettel is consistently getting not just beaten, but absolutely smoked by his teammate. And yes, I understand. Sean Leclerc is one of the best young drivers on the grid. But the fact that Vettel isn't even scoring points on a semi-regular basis I just don't get it. I don't get what you know. next year will be Aston Martin, this year it's Racing Point. I don't understand the thought process um, in in going to Vettel here.
2: I think there's a couple
1: of different things going on there. I think everybody at this point knows that right now Perez is the better driver. I think a change of scenery will be good for Vettel, and I think he could be a lot better than he was this year, next year. But he's still a guy on his way out. And yeah, it's nice if you're, Racing Point slash Aston Martin to pick up a four-time world champion. That's cool, right? I mean, like the quote-unquote selling jerseys thing. (laughs) I think there's also something in play with Mercedes and Aston Martin. I think we're going to see some, perhaps some mentorship for a younger driver, whether that's George Russell, I don't know from Vettel moving forward. I don't I don't think this was a move for next year. I think it was a move for moving forward for both Aston Martin and I think Mercedes had a hand in it as well. So that's the way I see it. Uh, Perez the dude the dude will be fine. He's going to take probably a year off from F1 and be back in 2022 in a better car. Maybe maybe he'll be in a better car, but hey, the thing that we have to remember I kind of think the racing point has a claim of being the second best car on the grid. Maybe it's the Red Bull. I don't know. But it's second or third. It's a terrific car. And they're gonna. Fi- and Racing Point is going to finish third in the constructor standings by a decent margin despite that penalty earlier in the year. That car is good. That's a real deal team. I mean, it's not like, oh, it's no longer a midfield team where, oh, we just put guys in until they can move up to a better team. Racing Points slash Aston Martin now, they're the real deal.
0: Yeah, I I think that the problem for me, I I agree. I agree with you about racing point. I think the thing that's tricky for me in terms of, is it as good as the Red Bull? We just don't know how good Red Bull's drivers are. Because again, Max Verstappen is, I think, undoubtedly either number one or number two. Um, But because of that, we don't know how much more he's getting out of that car than what that car can put out. We also don't really know how good Alex Albon is, at least in my opinion. Um, I, like again, this is why I think it would be fascinating to have like a, even just like a test session where every single driver on the grid posts a couple of laps in the same car. I I know it'll never happen. I understand it'll never happen. But like it's just weird cuz you know again, you're talking about a guy like George Russell who hasn't ever scored a championship point. Well, yeah, he's driving a Williams. Like not even like Lewis Hamilton's not finishing on a podium in a Williams. It's not happening. Um, but yeah, on the, on the Checo point, I think, I think that it will be best for him to take a year off. I do think that that's the best thing for him. Um, if only, if only because it's going to allow him to get a better deal when he does come back and you talk about going out on top, if you're going to take a year off, he is now, as you mentioned, a champion, uh, fourth place in the driver's championship between two OP cars, uh, two OP drivers. He's in a good spot. He's going to be fine. Let's move forward and talk about Abu Dhabi for just a moment. This is what we all wait for every year, despite the fact that this is the first year where I've watched almost every single race. But that aside, Abu Dhabi, granted, by now the world championship is already settled. Lewis Hamilton won that, Mercedes has won the Constructors' Championship. But there are going to be some things to watch here. And let's start with some driver battles that could come down to the wire. Now, the first one, I'm not expecting a whole lot out of. But given uh, you know, lack of luck recently, Max Verstappen is only 16 points behind him in the World Championship standings. Do you think there's any chance that we see a super max level drive here? And if Bottas catches some bad luck, maybe maybe Max finishes P2 on the season?
1: I heard nothing... Past the luck of vouchery but ass, it's entirely possible.
0: <laughs> I, I, yeah, yeah. I don't think there's a whole lot more that needs to be said. It's going to be a simple situation of like Valtteri's going to have to get unlucky. But I feel like that could definitely happen. Another one that is almost out of reach, but is not quite out of reach. Um, Daniel Ricardo is 13 points behind Sergio Perez. Now, this one feels a little less likely to me, just because those two have been very close together, and if they finish close together again, um, there's really no way that Danny Rick is gonna jump Sergio Perez. But let's also give Daniel Ricardo his dues. He has looked really good this year in a in an you know, in a car that has not been expected to do a whole lot. That Renault had its struggles. But man, he has gotten a lot out of it. And if he finishes P5 this year, he's another guy that I think really got a lot more out of his car um, than what he's going to get full credit for.
1: Yeah, credit to the Renault team as well. I think they've steadily improved that car throughout the year. It's mm-hmm. looked a lot better, both for him and Aukun throughout this this season. But yeah, Danny Rick has had a terrific season so far, an underrated one, if anything if not a bit inconsistent, but I think that has more to do with the car than with him. I don't think he catches Perez, but again, this is Formula One. Some dude spins around in front of you, and all of a sudden you're out of the race, and Daniel Ricciardo, almost if, as long as he finishes top four, would be ahead of you. How far is he behind?
0: He is 13 points behind.
1: So there's still a chance. I, I don't think it happens. I don't think Daniel Rick finishes that high, even if Perez doesn't finish the race, but you never know.
0: Yep, I tend to agree. And again, for what it's worth, he is kind of locked into that spot. The worst that Danny Rick is going to finish pending something absolutely insane um, is P5 on the season. Let's talk about a battle that is going to be fascinating to watch next weekend. Charles Leclerc is currently P6 with 98 points. Carlos Sainz is right behind him with 97. Alex Albon behind him with 93. Lando Norris behind that pack with 87. And then you drop a little bit further down... You have Lance Stroll with 74 and Pierre Gasly with 71. At least for those top three, maybe even the top four, where they finish in this next race could ultimately determine a lot. And I think watching those four drivers go at it, and certainly the battle between Leclerc and Sainz for that sixth championship spot, that is going to be a blast, especially considering they're going to be teammates next year. Yeah, I think that
1: this all comes down to Alex Albon. Which Alex Albon will we get? If we get good Alex Albon... There's a chance, depending on what Science and Leclerc do, that he could finish even as high as P6.
0: If Albon finishes P6, I think all is forgiven at Red Bull. Maybe not all, but like I think a lot is forgiven at Red Bull.
1: Yeah, I, I, it, the margin between these guys just isn't big enough to make up that large of a gap, I don't think. I know five points isn't that large, but it's that's three spots barring a P1, P2, or P3 finish for Albon. So it's possible... The Way science has been driving lately, I don't think it will happen. He could very easily pass Leclerc, though. I, I wouldn't, I would almost bet on that, barring some bad luck.
0: Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. Um, so there will be a couple of battles, like I said, to keep an eye on as we head into Abu Dhabi in this final race. Also, something that's still a little interesting it's not as interesting as it was a couple of weeks ago, but it's still a little interesting. Um, Racing Point is currently up on McLaren by 10 championship points, McLaren is currently up on Renault by 12 championship points. Now, again. It would take some doing for any of those spots to switch. And given what we've seen out of that racing point car this year, I don't know that it's going to happen. But I'll tell you what, man. If Lando Norris and Carlos Sainz can have a really good day, we could potentially see McLaren finish third in that driver's championship.
1: Again, all going to come down to Luck, who, who maybe has a spin out, who gets bumped. If it's possible, I think if one or more of the racing points DNF, then it's certainly possible. But if all... Four cars finish the race. Racing Point has taken
2: home third place, in my opinion. But we'll see.
0: We certainly will. Um, That is all that we had on Formula One. Uh, We talked a little bit about Bahrain, talked a little bit about Abu Dhabi. We'll have a recap of Abu Dhabi next week. We will also talk a little bit more about the 2021-2022 season. And uh, some intrigue going on there. Of course, Fernando Alonso returning next year. What will we be able to have with him? What will we see out of Ferrari? And also, you know, a couple of these seats that are still up for grabs. We'll see what happens with that. I hear the the, the large sigh. I would also like to point out on record, I am not expecting a lot out of Fernando Alonso next year. That, that was...
2: Is it too late for Renault to take back Fernando Alonso's contract and give it to Checo?
0: Ah, uh, I too wish late. I wish I wish they would do that. I then again in a fantasy world I also would be okay with Sebastian Vettel just surprisingly retiring and then, you know, Checo can keep his seat. But, you know, well, we we would I think we would both give, you know, a kidney for Fernando Alonso just just so the poor guy could have a freaking F1 seat next year. Um, but let's move on. We've got a lot to talk about with the NFL. I wanted to quickly do a playoff watch. Here's the thing. Uh, we were not on the air the last couple of weeks. I mentioned things have been just crazy busy here. Also, going into this week, I know that there were some interesting games that happened today. Of course, we're, we're recording this here on a Sunday. Um, there were some really interesting games, but when we looked at the slate heading into this week, this was one of the worst weeks for the NFL in terms of matchups. Because all of the good teams were playing in games that should have been blowouts, and all of the games we expected to be close were between teams that were already basically eliminated or no one cared about. So I don't really want to focus too hard on doing any kind of a recap from any games this week, although I will let you talk a little bit about what happened with your beloved New York Jets. Um, But I want to talk about the playoff teams, kind of where things stand with them right now, what we think about them, whether they're for real or not, all of that stuff. And that will start right now. First of all, let me give you just a moment. How happy, Ethan, are you as a Jets fan, almost watching them screw up their own tank, and then in that perfect way that only the Jets can do, reassembling it in record speed?
1: I haven't been this proud of my team since two thousand and twelve. <laughs> that was beautiful. I was furious. I saw that they were up
0: with however many seconds were left. It was That's like something. forty. Be kidding me? This...
1: This team can't even lose right. Like, come on, guys. Because the Jaguars are chasing
2: them. It's not like they're out there on
0: their own. Oh. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. And Jacksonville, Jacksonville, for what it's worth, they also lost today. So that would have put you guys in a bad position had you won. I mean, you would have had the same record as Jacksonville. Oh, I love it. I love it so much. Well, let's uh, let's just really quickly uh, talk about the teams that I've crossed out. We're not going to give any time to these teams, and I mean it this time, because I know I've said that a couple times before, and then whether it was Matthias Weillman a few weeks ago, it was uh, Jordan Foote a few weeks before that, we ended up actually talking about these teams at length. The Bengals, the 3-9 and nine Los Angeles Chargers, the four and eight Houston Texans, and the four and seven soon to be after playing the Chiefs, probably four and eight Denver Broncos. Those are the teams. I have only one thing to note there: the kay. Chargers
1: have to be the best three and nine team to ever play in the National Football League.
0: Oh, I agree. But they did this. They did but, the same thing last year.
1: <laughs> but they're the Chargers, so I can't believe that team is three and nine.
2: They're so much better than that. That, but here
0: we are. Uh, you know, it's that old adage that good teams find ways to win and bad teams find ways to lose. And I think that makes the Chargers for the last three years, like the worst team in NFL history. Cause like, they're not bad. They just find painful new and interesting ways to lose every week. Those are the teams that I have crossed off in the AFC In the NFC. I only have four teams completely crossed off that we won't talk about at all. Um, and they are the four and nine Atlanta Falcons, the four and eight Carolina Panthers, the four and eight, uh four and eight lions and this is maybe a controversial one but i really don't think it is it's the five and seven bears who have lost six games in a row and will finish their year with houston minnesota jacksonville and green bay can we just agree to stop talking about the bears not just on this show but just in general they're they're, they're a bad football team i have no objections to that all right fantastic well let's get into the teams that we have not crossed off um i want to start I'm going to start in the AFC, but before I go to the AFC, I want to talk about something really quickly in the NFC, just because we have to talk about it, and it, it pains me to say that, but if you're going to talk about playoff teams, at least one of these teams is going to be in there. So let's do what we have to do and talk about the NFC East for just a moment. Um, Oh my gosh. So the Cowboys are 3-8. and eight. They will play later on this week. The Eagles are now 4-7-1. and one. The Washington football team is 4 and 7 and the New York Giants, give them credit, they won today. They're 5-7. and seven. They're kind of running away with the division at 5-7. and seven. Um, Do you think this is going to be the Giants' division to lose now that they put themselves in this position? Yeah, I,
1: I guess. The NFC least, man. I, I just, I find it hard to care because whatever one of these teams somehow obligatorily gets into, into the playoffs, they're just going to get cooked and rightfully so what a disaster of a division and this isn't the first time this is the worst time but it's not the first time that this division has been like this i'm sick of talking about the nfc east you know do something maybe just excommunicate the east other (laughs) than the bills from the national football league i don't know
0: and the dolphins
1: the
2: dolphins you know they can stay too
0: yeah the dolphins the dolphins have earned it uh Yeah, I agree. I don't want to waste too much time on this division. I think the only thing that I wanted to note, because we're going to talk about what these teams could do in the playoffs, and I think we would both agree that whichever one of these teams gets in is not going to do anything. But I want to give you a tasty scenario. We're in a position right now where if the Giants win the NFC East and the Bucks win a few more football games, we could potentially have one last chance for the Giants to screw over Tom Brady, which... Would just be poetic in a sense. Man, you know what,
1: man? I'm all here for. <laughs> hopefully, still in the starting role. I'm here for
2: Colt McCoy taking down Tom Brady in the
0: playoffs. And and you already know, right? Like the the team in the NFC that I feel like is most likely to lose to the Giants, probably it probably the Bucks. Like they've done this a couple of times, where they've just looked really bad and played down to the competition. Um, But I'm with you. Let's not waste too much time talking about the NFC East. Let's move back over to the AFC and let's start talking about some teams that matter. And I want to talk about, first of all, the only undefeated team left in the league, um, the Pittsburgh Steelers. They're 11-0. And to be perfectly honest, they have a couple of tough games coming up, but they're in pretty good shape right now. They're going to play Washington this week, then Buffalo, Cincinnati, Indianapolis, and Cleveland and look, I've heard the story. I've heard the people online. I've heard the people, you know, up in my up in my mentions sometimes. Pittsburgh's not a real team, you know, that yeah, they win all these games, but look at their schedule. Look, here's the thing. Pittsburgh this year is 6th in scoring offense, they're 8th in passing defense, they're 1st in the league in rushing defense, and they are 1st in the league in scoring defense. Talk about their schedule or their record all you want. This team does not give up points, and the offense has been better than serviceable this year. I'm starting to think that with that secondary, and that's really the biggest thing for me, is the secondary when we're talking about the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm not saying they're on the same level as Kansas City, but I think they're the best suited team in the league to take down Kansas City, if that's what it comes down to. Here's
1: the thing. The second best quarterback that the Steelers have played against this year... I'm not counting Lamar Jackson because I said quarterback, not running back.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, the second best quarterback for the Steelers have played against this year is Ryan Tannehill.
0: The best being Josh Allen, I'm guessing? Uh,
1: oh, you know what? Well, they haven't played Josh Allen yet.
0: Wait, they haven't? Oh, no, you're right. They haven't. I completely no. forgot that this—yeah, no, you're right. That, that's that's coming up next.
1: No, their secondary has looked terrific against whoever the Jags threw out there that week. I'm not sure.
0: Uh, I believe it was Jake Luton. The Ravens, Lamar
2: Jackson who can't throw the football, Ryan Tannehill, Baker Mayfield,
1: Carson Wentz. Uh. Deshaun Watson, that's the best one they've seen. Mm-hmm. Drew Locke and I believe Daniel Jones. Of course their secondary looks good. They've got a they don't have any good quarterbacks thrown against them. That being said, the Steelers are still the real deal. Are they the second best team in the league? Maybe. Do they have a real shot at beating the Chiefs? Probably not. I I, I think they're a good team that's gotten lucky with the schedule. I in reality, they're a good playoff team. There's these people who are saying, "Oh, well, they don't even, you know, they're like the third best team in the AFC North." Relax. But I think they are a bit overrated in terms of their record.
0: Yeah, I, I would tend to agree. I think, and again, when I said I think they are best suited to take down the Chiefs, that does not mean that I think they would have a good chance against Kansas City in a playoff game. I don't think anyone in the league has a good chance against Kansas City in a playoff team. Well, in a playoff game, we'll talk about that in a minute. But my thing with Pittsburgh is if you look at every other team in the league, they all have that one glaring, like, what were they doing that week kind of loss. I mean, Tennessee had another one this week. They got absolutely annihilated by the Browns. The Bills have had a couple games like that. You get further down there, Browns, Dolphins, Colts, they've all had a game like that. You switch over to the NFC, it's the same story. So, you know, granted, they've won some games that they probably should have blown teams out in by narrow margins, but I think that, yeah, Pittsburgh, for what it's worth, Pittsburgh is the real deal. Um, I think you do have to be careful if you're going to be one of these crazies that starts putting them on the same level as the Kansas City Chiefs, but I certainly think they're in that second tier of teams, and I think, to be fair, the only team in that first tier is Kansas City, which makes Pittsburgh a real team. Um, unless you have something else to add on Pittsburgh, let's get right into the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs are 10-1 right now, probably the best 10-1 team in the league. Actually, the best 10-1 team in the league. They could move to eleven and one here. Where again, we're recording this during Sunday night football. They're playing against the Broncos right now. They will play against Minnesota, New Orleans, Atlanta, and the Chargers to finish out their year. And let's just let's just say it like it is, man. There's no other team on the same level as Kansas City this year. If they don't win the Super Bowl this year, I will be surprised. And to add one more point to that, I'm not really a big better. I've never actually bet on sports before, but I'm telling you, I might put some money down on the Chiefs this year because I think it will return a profit.
2: It's
1: a weird deal because, yes, the Chiefs, they are the best team in the NFL. There's no doubt. It's its not particularly close, I don't think. But this is the NFL, and you ne- especially in the playoffs, you just never know what could happen. I hesitate to bet on the NFL because it's, it's such a weird deal. I think the Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl, though. I, I agree with you. It's just that's where you put your money. If I had to bet, I'd bet on the Chiefs. 9 D9 times out of, not 100, 99 out of 99. The Chiefs, they're just simply better than everyone else. They have the best player in the league in Patrick Mahomes. If he doesn't win MVP, they're doing something wrong. It's, it's not really fair. They've got the best receiver in the league. They've got the best tight end in the league. Oh, by the way, both those guys, they have the two top receivers in the league in Kelsey and Hill. It, it, they're broken this year. And the rest of the NFL has receded a bit away from them as well, and they've gotten even better, I think, than last year. Jeez,
0: how, I, how
1: did we go from getting edwards How did the league do that?
0: <clears throat> well, I, I nobody nobody in that spot really needed a running back. That was the thing. You look at you look at team needs for some of those bottom draft teams that were you know drafting there at the end. They didn't really need a running back. Well, like was San Francisco going to draft like a fifth running back to add to that committee? It was just, it was a perfect position for the Chiefs. And, you know, they, they said too, they were like, we weren't really expecting to get him, but if he was going to drop, we were going to take him. Um, I think there is something to be said for, I don't know that, like, on his own, um, Tyreek Hill is one of the best. He's certainly one of the best receivers in the league. I think it's it's interesting because a lot of the other good the a lot of the other good receivers have had interesting quarterback situations this year. But you're right, Travis Kelsey, for what it's worth, is probably the best pass catcher in the league. Um, and Tyreek Hill is undoubtedly the fastest wide receiver in the league that gets good reps and has good hands. So it, it's completely unfair. And here's the other thing about the Chiefs that you know you watch them on TV. Like I'm watching them play the Broncos right now. There are times when this defense just doesn't look great. But they are the epitome of Ben Don't Break this year. They have the 24th ranked passing defense in the league. They have the 16th ranked rushing defense in the league. That's not great. You want to take a guess as to where they are in scoring defense this season?
2: Well, they've got to be top 10.
0: Sixth. They're sixth in scoring defense. They just don't give up points. That defense is so good in the red zone this year. And that's really what makes them so dangerous. Like, yeah, you can move the ball on them. Good for you. You're going to take time off the clock, and then you're going to kick a field goal and get three points out of it. They're going to put Patrick Mahomes on the field, and the next thing you know, you're down by 12. That's just what the Chiefs do. So... You know, in addition to having a really good defense this year, they've got the best offense in the league. They've got the best quarterback in the league. They've got two of the best pass catchers, and they have a really solid backfield now. I mean, Le'Veon Bell is their second-best running back, and he hasn't really done a whole lot at this point. So, yeah, I I think that the Chiefs are just broken this season. Um, And I don't really think there's another team that is even on their level. I mean, you'd agree with that, right? No,
1: there's not another team where I look at them and I say, you know what, I can't wait to see these two play, because those are the two Titans, Clash of the Titans. Not going to happen
0: this year. Yeah. So let's let's talk about some teams that are interesting. Because the Chiefs are fun, but I wouldn't say they're interesting. Because you know what you're getting. I mean, the the Walrus, Andy Reid, is going to call in a play. Mahomes is going to drop a 60-yard dime downfield. And they're going to just blow teams out. And even when they haven't really looked that good this year, I think a part of that is that they don't want to like really get into their full playbook. Like, I've definitely seen a few games where it feels like they're running the same 10 plays. But let's talk about the other teams in the AFC that are going to be kind of in the mix. We talked about the Steelers and the Chiefs, who so we know what we're getting with them. Let's get into the rest of it. Uh, so I want to actually bring up a team that just jumped into the lead in their division today after what happened to the Tennessee Titans, and I want to jump into it because I know you're kind of the the resident expert on this team. You've called them from a long ways away. I you have always been a believer in the Indianapolis Colts. Now they're going to have a real chance. Are they one of if are, are they the third best team in the AFC? Because I think they might be the third best team in the AFC.
1: I have long been on the Colts bandwagon. This was when Andrew Luck was their quarterback, and even after he left, what i I step, took a step away from the Colts this year though, because Philip Rivers did not excite me
2: <laughs> in the least. I mean, come on I, I I just didn't
1: I didn't see it, but he's been good. I think the thing that they've done in Indianapolis. Is they've designed their offense around Rivers, and of course, you always design your offense around your quarterback. But they've really set him up with a chance to succeed. And I've been pleas- pleasantly surprised with Philip Rivers. I expected next to nothing. I expected him to be terrible, to be honest with you. He just seemed like he was over the hill. You no, know, career's over. You know, let's let's put him in the books, hang him up, Phil. Get out of here. But he, he's been terrific, and the Colts. After the last few years, their defense is really good. That's what makes them scary. And I think that defense could be what puts them over the top into that third-best team in the AFC conversation. I'm kind of curious to see where they go the rest of the season. Right now, they're tied with the Titans, technically, by record, in their division. But the Colts have a lot tougher of a schedule moving forward. They'll see the Raiders next week. We'll get into them in a moment, I'm sure but then they'll see the Texans, Steelers and they finish with the Jaguars. But still, Steelers, Texans, Raiders is a tough little gauntlet for them to go through. I think it'll be telling. I'm excited to see them the rest of the way.
0: Yeah, let me let me give you a no, let me give you some stats here on Indy. There are only 4 teams in the league this year that in scoring offense, scoring defense, passing offense or passing defense and rushing defense are in the top 10 in the league. Those teams are Actually, I take it back, there are only 3 of them because Kansas City is not in that category. It's Pittsburgh, New Orleans, and Indy. And I still don't think Indy is getting the respect that they deserve. And you know what, I'm going to be honest, I really wasn't on the Indy train as early as I should have been. You were you were calling them a dark horse Super Bowl pick a couple years ago, and I was like you're crazy. But they are definitely a lot better than I think they're getting credit for. And I think that as they continue to improve, it's important to take note because this could be a team that potentially comes in. We've already seen them give good teams problems. I mean, they beat the Packers last week. And that's a team that a lot of people are expecting might end up in the Super Bowl. So, yeah, you know, this is a really, really good Colts team. Top to bottom. They don't have a lot of holes. They're well coached. Um, And and you know what? Phillip Rivers has been better than I think we expected this year. Let's talk about a team that... go, Go ahead
1: no this is just all it's coming it's all com- coming together for Bill Poley and in this team that he has built over the last few years that's why I had them as a dark horse Super Bowl contender i liked what they were doing slowly building this defense building in the trenches building up an offensive line and the, the only thing that scared me away from them this year was Phillip Rivers and he's been good so I'm all in on the Colts as long as Phillip Rivers continues to perform. He's the one weak link, it seems like to me.
0: Yeah, it kind of feels like they're a, they're a Patrick Mahomes. Well, I say Patrick Mahomes. They're like a, a solid, solid, solid quarterback away from being, I think, the second best team in the league. I, I think that's fair to say. I think if, if you put Deshaun Watson on this Colts team, I think they're the second best team in the NFL um but let's let's move forward let's talk about another team that has shown flashes of what it can do this year but has come up disappointing a few times the buffalo bills are eight and three they will have the san francisco 49ers they'll have pittsburgh they'll have denver new england and miami not an easy road from here on out for the bills but i think they've looked they've looked really good on offense i think the fact that they adds they added Stephon diggs that really opened up the game for josh allen who's been having himself a year this team is interesting. I don't think that they're going to get past a team like the Steelers or the Chiefs, but I think they could make it as far as they can before they run into one of those teams if they can finish the year with enough wins to get a good seed here.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting deal because the Bills were my team at the beginning. I was like, look out for them. Obviously, you have the Chiefs, and you don't really want to pick against them. But if there was a team that I was going to throw out there and be like, oh, well, who you know, who's your kind of dark horse that's not the Chiefs? It was the Bills at the beginning of the year. And a big part of that was
2: their defense, which has not been very good this year.
0: Mm -mm. Yeah, that Buffalo defense, 25th in the league in rushing defense, or sorry, in passing defense, 18th in the league in rushing defense, 18th in the league in scoring defense.
2: Yeah,
1: the thing with the Bills' defense, the good news for them is the first six weeks of the season, they were abysmal. I mean, Mm -hmm. they were one of the worst defenses in the league for, for defensive evaluation. The last six weeks... Week 7 into Week 12. Of course, there's last week as well, to add on to that, they were seven So that defense has been steadily improving, and I think gives them a great chance, because Josh Allen has been terrific this year. He's been really great, taking care of the football a little more than I think even I expected him to this season. Diggs has helped him out. That running back Singletary behind that, that whole running game has been a pleasant surprise as well, with how well it's just been, it's just been a steady running attack for them that you know, picking up good chunkage and allowing Shallon to set up for big plays down the field. I, will, I like what I've seen from the Bills. I think they're one of those teams that I can't really tell you how I'm going to feel about them in the playoffs right now. I want to see these last four weeks, see how that defense continues to improve or if it regresses, and then I'll let you know. But I, I, I like the Bills right now, but I'm tentative. I need to see these last four weeks of the season, especially that Bills-Steelers game. I've got that game like circled three times in three different colors on my calendar.
0: Yeah, that's fair. I think the one thing that I think we do know about the Bills, they're probably going to win their division, because if you think they have a tough schedule from here on out, let's talk really quickly about the Dolphins' schedule. Chiefs, Patriots, Raiders, Bills. Oof. That is uh, is not a great stretch to end your season with if you're the Dolphins. Um, Probably still going to end up in the playoffs, I would think, although they might be that first team out, depending on what happens. Um, But we'll get into them a a little bit later. I think that's all we need to say about the Bills. Let's talk about the team that the Colts just replaced in terms of being uh, potentially the lead as, on my TV screen, uh, big, big run by Melvin Gordon, gashing that Chiefs defense. Uh, That'll be a point of something to probably not care about tomorrow, but anyway. Um, So, talking about the Titans, I felt really good about Tennessee until today. I'm not freaking out, I'm not overreacting, um, but man, they just got crushed by the Browns who might be better than we're giving him credit for this year but still you shouldn't be down by I mean I I know they kind of made it close in garbage time I just I don't know what happened to Tennessee today man
1: I think they ran into good Baker Mayfield which is unfortunate the the Browns had a great plan of attack against this Titans defense with Baker Mayfield and Baker kind of came out with that fire he's a really inconsistent quarterback he happened to be Really terrific today. I mean, don't forget the Titans waxed the Colts last week. And the Mm -hmm. Colts are a good football team. They beat the Ravens. We'll get into the Ravens later. But the Titans have looked pretty good this year. They kept it close with the Steelers. I've liked what I've seen from the Titans. They had that one silly Bengals loss early in the year. It happens. And people, and people kind of started jumping ship because they had got, played a close game against the Jaguars a couple weeks earlier. Then they had that bad game against the Bengals, and people were like, oh, we're out on the Titans. Forget this. Not a lot of people were really in on them either coming into the year. I think the Titans will be fine. I, I know they got, kind of got schlacked by the Browns today. I think the Browns are just a good football team, and it pains me to say that, but I think they're just good.
0: <laughs> well, well, I here's...
1: think the Titans will be fine. I'm not, I'm not going to overreact to this game. Now, if they go out and look like this against Jacksonville next week, okay, then we can talk. But right now, I think they'll be just fine.
0: Yeah, I think uh, another train—I'm giving you a lot of credit today. I hope, I get, I'm giving you your dues. You called it on the Colts. You also called it on Ryan Tannehill. I remember you and I getting into an argument, I believe freshman year, about Ryan Tannehill's potential, and I've completely flipped on that now because I was talking with Koki Riley a couple weeks ago on the show— And I said I thought Ryan Tannehill deserved to be in a tier of quarterbacks that he strongly disagreed with. And then I started throwing out these numbers that I had been digging up on Tannehill. He's really good. I mean, he threw for 389 yards and three touchdowns today. I think the concern to me with the Titans you know, it, it can be at times that they're too reliant on Derrick Henry, who, by the way, had 60 yards on 15 carries today. Not a traditional day for King Henry, but I think we've really seen Marcus Mariota not just have potential, but really develop into a good quarterback. And I think this is an offense that, if it comes down to it, I kind of trust him, especially with A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown is an absolute monster. I mean, you look at the receivers and the fact that Derrick Henry can catch the ball sometimes out of the backfield. This offense is kind of scary. And their defense is good enough to get by. I mean, this is a Tennessee defense that, yeah, they've struggled at times, especially against the pass. And that's really where they got toasted today. Um, But I think this is a Tennessee team that they still have all the pieces to be really good.
1: Yeah, there's definitely some big red flags there in the secondary. I was actually just thinking about that as you said it. Like The secondary is my biggest concern. I think another key for them is getting Corey Davis back as that secondary receiver. He's a good player, and once he came back from that injury, he had a great game today. I like that receiving core a lot. The offensive line isn't as good as you might think. They've had some real problems, especially on the left side. Kwezenberry's been good, but I have some questions about the other, that side of their line. It's it comes down to the defense for me. I just really inconsistent. I don't they don't really get after the quarterback as much as you'd like either, which hurts their secondary even more. We'll see. I think they're a good playoff team that their offense maybe has a night where they just come out and go nuts and they can beat a team that's better than them. But they're not consistent enough, in my opinion, to really make a run.
0: Yeah, I, I kind of agree, and I think we're getting into that tier of teams that isn't good enough to make a run, and that's why you know, in the interest of time, we're going to lump some teams together first. But before we do that, uh, let let's talk about the Baltimore Ravens. Um, I, I I have a thing that I've told myself after this year that I'm going to stop doing, and that is listening to the hype, the walking hype train that is Alex Weiner, um, <laughs> because he had me. So sold, not just on this Ravens team, but on the Clippers heading into the postseason. Granted, the Clippers were really good, and so were the Ravens, in theory. Well,
2: they're
0: winning it all again this year, uh, according to Alex. Oh, jeez. So, oh, I, we're not, we have no time to discuss that. Um, <laughs> here's the thing I actually picked the Ravens. I said I thought this Ravens team, if they could really, you know, again, keep in mind, you're coming off of a Lamar Jackson MVP season. You're coming off of everything going right for this team, an offensive juggernaut. The one knock on them is that they can't come back in games, but with how good they are on offense, who really cares? And then they add a couple of pieces to the defense, which is already one of the best in the league. They've got healthy receivers again. They add J.K. Dobbins, who I thought could have a big impact. I'm looking at this team in the preseason, and I'm thinking, look, I don't think this team is as good as Kansas City, but I think if this is a revenge tour year for the Ravens, I could maybe see it. If the NFL season, Ethan Jordan, were to end... Yesterday, before this week's games were played, the Baltimore Ravens would have missed the playoffs. They're not even in the playoffs right now. They're six and five. And they have been so underwhelming at every turn of the year. They have not done anything impressive. They don't have a marquee win yet. Every time they go up against a team like Pittsburgh or Kansas City, they end up losing. When they go up against teams that they should be blowing out, they're typically keeping it pretty close. This team is a fraud. And I'm just going to say it, they are a fraud. Lamar Jackson has regressed back to his running back form. The defense has been amazing. The fact that this defense is second in the league in scoring defense, they don't give up anything at all. And yet they're still losing football games on a regular basis because this offense, which is supposed to be a juggernaut coming into the season, cannot do anything through the air, no matter how much they add to the receiving game. They have Mark Andrews and Hollywood Brown and a couple of other guys. They got Willie Sneed. They can't do anything. It's sad. It's sad. And I'm getting tired of watching it. I feel like I've been ranting for a minute. I'm going I'm to give you a second to talk about the Ravens. But my goodness, this team has just been a walking disappointment here in 2020.
1: Well, we came into this year just with it as a given. Now, so many people just assume Lamar Jackson is good. Are we sure that Lamar Jackson is a good quarterback? Not Are really. Are we sure? Going into the season, I get it. He won an MVP. Terrific. A lot of guys have won an MVP. Here's the thing with Lamar Jackson. He's playing in the National Football League. That means there are dudes who get paid a lot of money, a lot of money, to look at Lamar Jackson and see, how can we beat him? A lot of defensive coordinators and defensive assistants, their job is to look at Lamar Jackson and be like, what can we exploit? How can we hurt this team and make Lamar Jackson have to throw the ball downfield? They've done that this year, and he has done so unsuccessfully. He's not that good of a quarterback. There's a reason he wasn't drafted highly, and it's because he can't throw the ball downfield. He's got the tools. He's a terrific athlete. But at the end of the day, you got to connect to your receivers. And he just does not have the ability to do that right now. This, this offensive line isn't as good as you would like. It's taken a big step backwards from last year, in my opinion. Just watching it, even with the run game, haven't loved what I've seen there. And when Lamar Jackson doesn't have an offensive line in front of him, he's scrambling, he gets flustered, he can't complete passes. The Ravens were the most overrated team coming into this season, plain and simple. Because, yes, they were terrific last year, but you saw the cracks in the armor during the playoffs. And I think that just continues into this year, seeing how you exploit this team, and teams have picked up on that and done it. I think, if anything, last year was a little bit of a fluke for the Ravens. <clears throat> Here's the good news. The Ravens are a good organization. They're not. This isn't a fluky thing where, oh, we're a bad organization, but we happen to put the pieces together and... Do things no the Ravens are a good organization they're going to be fine but if they are married to Lamar Jackson no I'm not saying get rid of Lamar Jackson get him out of here but you can't just go into the season assuming he's going to be a stud they need to do something with Lamar Jackson if he doesn't improve his skills you need to move on from him. you can't be married to this guy just because
2: he won an MVP one time
0: yeah I think the stigma that comes with and you know what that's the thing though you can have a good season as a quarterback and not get all the hype that Lamar Jackson got. But he won an MVP award, and there are not a lot of bad quarterbacks that have won the MVP. Let me just, I'm looking at the list right now. Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, now granted, there was the Matt Ryan year, but he was also ridiculously good that year, and I think Matt Ryan is still a Hall of Famer. Um, Cam Newton, Aaron Rodgers, Peyton Manning, Aaron Rodgers again, Tom Brady again, Peyton Manning, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady. It just it's a it's a pretty good club to be in. And you know, he gets the he gets the Madden cover, you know, and I thought, yes, the playoff thing concerned me. The lack of wins against good teams concerned me. But when all is said and done, my thought with this Ravens team was that they were gonna use last season as motivation. Like I was expecting this to be the Ravens revenge tour year. And instead, they've just come out flat. And again, take a look at what Lamar Jackson did last year. Three thousand one hundred and twenty-seven yards through the air, thirty-six touchdowns. Only six interceptions this year. Granted, we've got four games left to go. He's sitting at about two. Th- Sorry, he's sitting at about two thousand passing yards, fifteen touchdowns, six interceptions. You know, he's still getting it done on the ground to a degree. But yeah, he's just not what he was. The team is not what they were, and it's really been sad to watch. So the Ravens have been a disappointment. We're really not going to talk too much more about them. But I, can, you know, here's the thing. First of all, they're going to have to fight just to make the playoffs. If they miss the playoffs. Oh, you're going to have to make some changes in that organization because you cannot have a team with this much talent miss the postseason. But then also, if they do make the playoffs and they're a wild card, which let's be honest, they're going to be because Pittsburgh is, going to win their, Pittsburgh is going to win their division, undoubtedly. If they make the playoffs and they're a wild card, who are they going to beat? You tell me they're going to beat, are they going to beat the Steelers? Are they going to beat the Chiefs if that ends up being the team that doesn't get the buy? Are they going to beat a team like the Colts? Are they going to beat the Bills? I just, I don't know who they get a win against in the playoffs. They might be another, they get in, they lose, they get out.
2: The Ravens, here's what they need to do in order to improve this season.
1: Next year, they need to draft some offensive linemen. They passed on a couple of offensive linemen in in the draft, and that was a mistake. Because not only has Lamar Jackson regressed, I, I just went on my little Lamar Jackson rant, but he's not the only problem. The running game, as I kind of alluded to, hasn't been very good either. This offensive line isn't that great, and they've been especially bad. And Lamar Jackson is not good under pressure. When he, He's gotten blitzed. He's been terrible. And they need to do something to get him out of these empty back sets, especially when there's no backs in the backfield with him. That doesn't work for Lamar Jackson. I don't know why they run those sets with him. Get a back in there with him. Don't let him get blitzed like that. Maybe you can sneak into the playoffs, but I agree with you. I don't know who, who what good that does. They're not going to beat anybody, in my what, opinion.
0: Yeah, well, and those empty back sets were awesome. His rookie year, and even last year, where they they run a couple guys on deep routes, and if he doesn't have someone to hit on a crossing route, he can just scramble. But you see so many teams, they'll just set a they'll just set a linebacker or a safety in the middle there to keep an eye on him, and when he takes off, he's got a guy in his face that goes unblocked. So that's, you know that's they've.
2: What, that's what I don't understand. Because...
0: Yeah, the, the lack of adjustments to, from the Ravens' offensive back play back calling. To give the
1: linebacker something else to look at. Run some play action instead of just being like, Lamar, go get it done. Because, like
2: I said, guys get paid a lot of money to figure that stuff out.
0: Yeah, and part of the problem, too, I feel like that this Ravens team to be as good as they can be. I think they do need a better backfield than what they have right now. Like, the combo of... J.K. Dobbins and Mark Ingram, who has been very whatever this year. Gus Edwards. They they don't have a guy that is like believable, uh, I feel like, at times when they try to run play action. But anyway, let's not waste more time talking about the Ravens. We've been talking for a while. We still have an entire conference left to talk about. Let's lump a couple of these teams together here. I'm just going to throw the teams out. I'm going to let you give me your thoughts on them. So the teams we have yet to talk about so far that matter... Are the nine and three? That's right. The nine and three Cleveland Browns, the eight and four Miami Dolphins, the seven and five Oakland or sorry, Las Vegas Raiders. And if you really want to say something, you can. Uh, I didn't cross them off. The Patriots are six and six, but like they're they're not going to make the playoffs this year, and they're not really good. Um, so I feel like we shouldn't waste any time talking about the Patriots. But that those three teams: the Browns, the Dolphins, and the Raiders. Two of them are going to have to miss the playoffs, assuming the Ravens get in. What's the, what's the deal with these three teams? Because I'm still struggling to get a read on these three teams.
1: I'll start with the Dolphins. I think that's the team I have the best read on. Brian Flores has done a terrific job down there as their head coach. <laughs> their secondary is the real deal. They've got one of the better secondaries in the league. I think that defense has that's been a slow buildup for them, and we've all seen it accumulate cum- here this year. I think that secondary is terrific. I think they're doing a lot of good things down there in terms of culture, other things as well. That being said, I don't think they have the talent on the roster right now in order to make a real run. So I, I've i been impressed with the Dolphins. We'll see how Tua does the rest of the season as well. I think they also got a little Fitz magic love at the beginning of the year. <laughs> but at least they're smart enough to not have him continue on as the quarterback because you get to the end of the year and he breaks your heart with playoff hopes. Yeah. But we'll see. I, I think they're a wait and see type of team. I think they're going to have, make a run into the playoffs, which would be unbelievable for them really maybe get beat up a little and come back next year. They're ones to look at a team to look at next year. The Browns. Oh, <laughs> I was out on the Browns this year. I, I was out on the Browns last year, too, and I was right. So I just stuck with that this year. I was like, I won't believe it until I see it. And now I'm seeing it. So I guess I'm a believer. I think that defensive building they've done with Henry and other guys up front are doing a nice job, by the way, with the Dolphins. They've got two terrific pass rushers. I'm spacing on their names, too, that have really helped that defense. But the Browns, guys like Henry, they've done a terrific job building that defense so that it is actually acceptable. Even with Odell out. They've got Odell Beckham out right now, you have to remember. I think they've done a good job. I think Baker Mayfield has been a little more consistent than in past years. And you know what? We talk about it in sports where the head coach, oh, how much does he really matter? There's a reason these guys get paid a lot of money. Stefanski is so much better than Freddie Kitchens. Just some of the game time decisions and in that locker room, you can tell there's a culture being built in the Browns. Are kind of changing that narrative i browns if you're a browns fan you don't even know what to do with this because it's just been pain and sadness since forever like how do you even feel right now do you know how to feel happiness
0: i think I I, it's just more sadness though right because if they do make the playoffs they're not going to be able to have any fans
1: that's true and then once the pandemic things get a little more back to normal they're uh they're not they're not going to be good again
2: that would be the most browns thing ever mm-hmm. my
0: goodness they would win they would like they, their first playoff win would come in front of nobody on the road in a pandemic year and then and then things would go back to normal oh,
1: absolutely brutal but I, I you know i'm a believer now in the browns i wasn't someone who really cared for them going into the year, but here they are i I, I can't argue with the results. Well,
2: who
0: was the third team? The third team was the Raiders, um, who have arguably been the most confusing team. I think I, I don't remember if I said it to you or Dakoki, but I said, I, I think I'm going to learn a lot about one of these teams uh, when the Browns played the Raiders. And then we ended up learning nothing about either of those teams. Um, I, I don't know, man. The Raiders are just kind of sus to me. I'll, I'll touch briefly on the on the Dolphins and on the um, on the Browns as well, but what what are you thinking about this this Vegas team? Because they show flashes of greatness, but I, I don't trust this team for much.
1: The defense concerns me. I really like their offense, though. Their entire offensive line is back from last year. They, that's a key, having a consistent group up front. We don't talk about those guys that, enough, not to sound like a high school football coach, but having that consistent group up there is huge. Josh Jacobs is an elite running back. Darren Waller is an elite tight end, and Derek Carr is a good quarterback. He's just been in a bad situation. I don't know. I don't know what more you want. They also added some more weapons for Carr this year. Um, Tyrell Williams really helps to take some of the off of, some of the onus off of these other guys. Adding Henry Ruggs is really great. I think this offense is pretty stellar. The concern I have is the defense is really inconsistent. It's kind of old. So I I don't know how to feel about their defense moving forward, but this offense is what we thought they could possibly be. They're, They're playing at a
2: high level.
0: Yeah, I'll go I'll go in reverse order. I'll start with the Raiders. I think you know, you made an interesting point saying that the defense is old. So the problem is some of the positions they're too old and then some of the positions they're just too young. They've got some really inexperienced guys in that secondary that they've brought in here in the last couple of years. So it's kind of a mix, um but yeah, they could definitely do better on the defensive side. Derek Carr has kind of gotten back to the form where we saw um, when he was in the voting for MVP that year that Matt Ryan won it. I mean, he's he's really stepped back up and done a good job. Now, granted, he throws too many interceptions for my uh, for my liking at times, but, man, he really has stepped back up and, and done a gra- an excellent job. Josh Jacobs has turned into one of the best running backs in the league this year. Um, his impact cannot be understated as well. And then, you know, they've had a couple of good guys step up in the receiving game as well. So they're another team that I feel like, you know, they could be fun if they make the playoffs, but I still don't think they're going to win a game. Um, if they do make it, and I do think ultimately, especially after what we saw, you know, last week, I think there's a very good chance that if there is one of these teams that's on the outside looking in at the end of the year, it could definitely be that Las Vegas Raiders team. Uh, talking a really bit about or a quick moment about the uh, Miami Dolphins. I agree. Brian Flores has been just incredible. Um, he has been killing it, and you were absolutely right. You talked about the pass rush that they added. Emmanuel Ugba and Shaq Lawson have been killing it this year getting back to the quarterback that's been one of their biggest strengths on defense that defense by the way one of the best in the league uh when you really look into it Miami you know their defense has has been solid um they're second that's right second in the league in scoring defense they just don't give up points um so they've been phenomenal and then the Browns who I agree I was kind of out on at the beginning of the year too um I think they do have a little bit of that Ewing theory going on right now with uh with OBJ out for whatever reason Um, I still feel like that they're, they're the perfect team to just collapse at any given point. I still think they play down to their competition, but they're finally good now. And I think that if you're a Browns fan, you take that. One of my roommates is from Cleveland. Uh, Jake Armada is a big Browns guy. And you know, he's been, he's, he's been a little confused as well. I mean, they're a nine-win Browns team. When was the last time that we could uh, we could say that? I do yeah, think... When was, the, when was
1: the last time? The, I'm, I'm going to be very curious once they finish the year. I agree with you, no matter what their record is, to see. When was the last time the Browns won that
0: many games? Because it's been a while. It's been a while. Um, this is the first winning season for the Browns since... I I don't even know. It's been a very, very long time. I'll tell you that. Um, we'll get, we'll get some research on that. We'll get you some numbers on previous Brown seasons, but right now let's move over to the NFC. Um, the NFC is a little bit more interesting. I think that the AFC is very top heavy. Like you've got two, maybe three teams that I could see making the Super Bowl, depending on how much you trust Phillip rivers and the Colts in the NFC. It's just wide open. Um, and I feel like we don't have to go as in depth necessarily to all of these teams. Let's actually start from the bottom and work our way up. We're not going to talk about any of the NFC East teams. We touched on that before. We're not going back there. Um, there's one other team that I really just don't know what to do with right now. And that's the five and six San Francisco 49ers. They have a lot of injuries. So normally I would just have them crossed off at this point, but they've looked a lot better since they've gotten some guys back. You know, they got Richard Sherman back last week. Um, they're returning a few pieces here and there. You know, I don't, I don't want to waste much time talking about them because they're another one of those teams where if they do make the playoffs, they're not going to go anywhere. Um, but I, I do think that they still have a chance to potentially still be playing football once the regular season is done.
1: Yeah, they could. Uh, They're in a really tight division right now, Mm -hmm. but they'll they'll play the Bills tomorrow, which really is a tough one for them. But if they can contend with the Bills, that (laughs) might open some eyes as to their season. But they beat the Rams last week. That was a terrific win. They have really had a tough schedule of late. Seahawks, Saints, Packers weren't able to beat any of those teams, but they did get that win against the Rams. They kept it close in a couple of those games. They're a better football team than their record would indicate, and I think you hit the nail on the head. The injuries, it's
2: killed them.
0: Yeah, I mean I think I think if they're hundred percent healthy, this is still a team that could potentially go back to a Super Bowl. I don't think they would for sure. Um, but man, they're again, they're another team that feels like they're a quarterback away. But let's let's move on from them. Let's also not waste too much time talking about this next team. Uh the Minnesota Vikings. They're interesting. I, I am not nearly as out on Minnesota as Koki Riley, who wanted to cross them off a couple weeks ago, and I was like, uh, no, not yet. Um, they'll play Tampa, Chicago, New Orleans, and Detroit to end their year. Their defense has been very, very bad, but they have this, this guy. I don't know if you've heard of him. Uh, what's his name? Oh yeah, that's right. Dalvin cook, who is just, man, when he's healthy, he's one of the best running backs in the league and he is just gashing defenses left and right. I don't know how far he can carry this team. I don't feel like it's very far. It's certainly not very far into the playoffs, not with some of the other teams in the NFC, but he does kind of make the Vikings a little bit more interesting. I think this is a bad Vikings team without him.
2: Oh, they're pretty bad.
1: They're pretty bad with him, I would say. I'm not going to cross them off yet, but come on. The only reason they've even struggled their way back into relevance is that they beat the Jaguars and the Panthers the last two weeks. Uh, the two weeks before this week. I I, I just, uh, I don't, I, I've almost entirely written the Vikings off. They're just, they're just not a good football team. This defense is terrible. And when you got to walk off the Jaguars, that tells you something. You're not a good football
0: team. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. So, so let's, let's move on from them. Let's talk about a team that I have been hyping up since the preseason that continues to make my... It, it, they'll make me look great one week, and then they'll make me look really bad the next week. And it's getting harder and harder to figure out what's going on. The Arizona Cardinals are now 6-6. Six and six. I think that they have the potential, obviously, to be better than that. If Cliff Kingsbury is not their head coach, um, and if they shore up a couple of spots on defense, I really, really like this Cardinals team. But what are they doing? I, for for the you know quote unquote offensive genius that Cliff Kingsbury is supposed to be, it just has not translated to the NFL level. And it might be time for the Cardinals to think about moving on already because I think they've got the per- they've got a lot of good guys. They put some more pieces around Kyler Murray and shore up this defense. I think they're a really good team, but I think they're getting held back a little bit by Cliff Kingsbury. I don't know if Cliff is the only problem. Let's
2: remember the Cardinals started off this year so hot and
1: so well that everyone. No, granted. I'm not saying this was you. You were on them before the season started. Mm-hmm. But people started hop on this Cardinals train, like, "Oh yeah, like, you know, they are all we thought they could be. Like they're great. They're starting to regress back to the mean a little bit." Let's remember, this team was overperforming. People are totally overreacting right now to the Cardinals in both ways. They overreacted them do at the beginning, say, "Wow, this team, they're going to win the NFC West." Well,
2: maybe <laughs> no.
1: But now, and now it's like, "Oh, well." our friend Vaughn Jones said fire everyone, he's a Cardinals fan. I guess he's allowed to say that. But it's not just him, it's it's everyone else is saying, you know, oh well, you know, now they're not the real deal. Maybe they're somewhere in between.
2: Wow. I,
1: <laughs> I know. I love the job that Vance Joseph has done with his defense. Let's remember, this defense on paper was not very good going into this year. It was the question mark of this team. Like, and a big one, too. It wasn't just like, well, they're missing a piece here or there. They were missing a lot of pieces defensively. Vance Joseph has done a great job with that unit. The offense is somewhat inexplicable to me right now because I just don't feel like they're using Kyler Murray in this passing game to its fullest potential. Granted, this offensive line still mm-hmm. isn't that terrific. They didn't do as good of a job shoring up the offensive line as you might have liked to have seen during the offseason. I think that's part of the problem. This running game is kind of inconsistent. I think Chase Edmonds came out of the gate unbelievably and people lost their minds, as they tend to do with the Cardinals, it seems. And now he's kind of regressed back to the mean as well. I think this is a good, not great football team. I'm not, Koki Riley thinks they might be worse than the Vikings. That's uh,
0: absurd. Yeah, that's bad. Um, I, I kind of, I kind of, go I ahead. Think they're, I think they're good, not great. Are they a playoff team?
1: Maybe. But they're they're one of those bubble playoff teams. They were
2: never more than that, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I think it's I think that while it is important for me to note that I did have this team at eleven and five in the preseason, which was very high. I had them at eleven and five and still finishing third in their division because their division is just that good. Um, and granted, that didn't shake out the way that I thought it would. I think I don't know, man. Because here's the thing with the Cardinals. Kyler Murray I, I've changed my tune on him coming into the season I thought Kyler Murray is a great quarterback and then it was I think Kyler Murray's better than Lamar Jackson and now dude Kyler Murray is an elite quarterback there are like three elite quarterbacks in the league Kyler Murray is one of them you give me another guy that can throw the ball as quickly and efficiently as he can and then he also adds what he adds with the running game he is phenomenal. Um, and now he has DeAndre Hopkins. He's got some other pieces to work with. I agree with you too. Vance Joseph, the job that he has done with this defense, a defense that was not very good last year and had virtually no expectations placed on them this season coming into the year. I think they've been serviceable. They haven't been great, but they've been serviceable. Um, but yeah, I agree. People are kind of overreacting on the Cardinals. That's what happens when you have a team that really, you know, they don't have a great defense. Um, they do—they are kind of volatile when you look at them in, in that sense. Um, but man, I I still think that this team has just because the powder keg that that offense brings, I think they've got a puncher's chance against almost anybody. Like I think on any given night, if that offense gets hot, this is a team that can beat any other team in the NFC.
1: Yeah, no, no doubt about it. They, like you said, they're a very volatile team and that hurts you and it helps you sometimes. Yeah, I I would be terrified to play them in the playoffs. I wouldn't enjoy that if I was another team, because you just don't know what you're going to get. Yeah, I, I think they're a good, not great team. Again, and, and they're but they're such a volatile team, as you said. I think you hit the nail on the head right there. I don't All know right. they are, and it might serve them well and it
0: served them poorly like it did today. Fair enough. Well, uh, well let's talk about the rest of this division, because this division is fascinating. We talked briefly about the Niners, we talked about the Cardinals, let's talk about the two teams that are currently fighting for that top spot. Let's talk first about a team that just lost to Colt McCoy and the New York Giants today. Yes, that's right. The Seattle Seahawks lost to Colt McCoy and the New York Giants. Here are some numbers that I feel like people should know about this Seattle Seahawks team. This year, they are third in the league in scoring offense. They are third in the league in rushing defense. And you're sitting here and you're going, wow, that's, that's really good. That's that's you know I see why people were calling them a Super Bowl contender a few weeks ago. They are... 32nd in the league in passing defense and 26th in the league in scoring defense, which means they give up more passing yards than any other team in the freaking league, including the New York Jets, and they give up more points than all but six teams in the league. That is not a winning formula. I don't care how good your offense is. I don't care how good your linebacking core is. If you cannot stop anyone from passing on you, you're not going to win football games. And granted, they've won a lot of them this year. They're 8-4, even after the loss today. But I think this was a real wake-up call to people who weren't already catching on to what was going on in Seattle. And before I move on from that point, I want to ask you about this as well. What is going on with Russell Wilson? Because I do think that people are overreacting a little bit when they bring up the interception numbers. But also, let's remember, part of what makes Russell Wilson elite Part of what has made him elite throughout his entire career is his efficiency and his ability to not turn the football over, and he is already, I believe with four games left to go in the season, I believe, I think he's already had as many turnovers as he has in any season of his career up to this point.
1: Yeah, I think he's just been forcing the ball a little bit too much, and it helps and hurts. Like He's, he's put up some yardage numbers that have been ridiculous, but when you try and force the ball downfield as much as he has, it's... It hurts your. It hurts your. Inter- it helps the chance of you throwing an interception, and when your defense is this bad, you have to continually score. And I feel like he's been put into that cycle of I gotta go score the football every time he's out there, and that's a really tough situation to be in.
0: Yeah, I think even but, with, but... I think even with Chris Carson, I think they're relying a little too much on just him, and I think that makes it really easy to game plan against.
1: Yeah, no, no doubt about it. I mean, you key in on Russell Wilson but that's going to happen when you're in the MVP conversation in Seattle and Pete Carroll and their staff need to work with Russell in order to combat that because you have to know that's going to happen. It's just a matter of how much they trust Chris Carson. I I don't quite understand the reason they shy away from Chris Carson so much. I think he's a solid back, but this year they just haven't And granted. This offensive line hasn't been good the last few years and it seems to be a bit better this year, but still, I don't think this this is by any stretch a good or even elite offensive line. I, I, I think that's part of the problem with the running game, and
2: it puts a lot of pressure on Wilson to make bad throws.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. It'll be interesting to see how they finish out their season. They'll have Detroit, Carolina, Tennessee, and Chicago, Um, but I just, I don't know that they're going to win the division this year, and part of it is because I think the Rams might be the third best team in the NFC. There, I said it. Uh I would have I would have slapped myself for saying that five weeks ago. I was out on the Rams. Because if you'll remember when, when they started off on that winning streak, it was like, okay, yeah, but they've played like everyone in the NFC East and who? Like they had played nobody. Um and granted, they have like they have a couple of really solid wins on that resume, but I think none more important than the one that they got, arguably than the one they got today. They're a good football team. The offense is the weak point for sure. Um their offense is nineteenth in the league in scoring offense. But dude, their defensive metrics this year, they are fourth at stopping the run, third at stopping the pass, and fourth at not giving up points in the entire NFL this year. That defense is loaded.
1: Yeah, no, that defense is loaded. The talent there speaks for itself. What I've been impressed with is the way that Sean McVay has been able to kind of alter this offense, because like you said, by itself, this offense isn't terrific. But I liked what I saw from them today against the Cardinals, some of the sets that they were running with. I think it gave Goff more of an opportunity to get good blocking in. They were running a lot of bootlegs, and um, there's a word for the reverse bootleg. I think it's a waggle. But they were running a lot of bootleg plays that got Goff out of the pocket. He feel, He's so much more comfortable out of the pocket. That was a big problem for them last year is they left Jared Goff in the pocket. And he's, for whatever reason, not good from the pocket. So now that they've got him rolling out and comfortable with doing that – He's been much better. And so I liked what I saw from them doing
2: that today.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And I don't really have too much to add. I just this this team is good. This team is legit. And I think that they're gonna win their division probably, um, just given what they have left. Uh they're gonna have the Patriots, Jets, Seahawks, and Cardinals. I think all four of those games are certainly winnable for the Rams, and man, this team could this team could potentially finish the season with only five or six losses. Um, so well, they're a good football team. They and are, and
1: last, they had a bad year last year, but they were in the Super Bowl the year before. You that mm-hmm. just doesn't go away in an instant like that. So they're back they're back.
0: You had to remind me bit. of that. You just had to you had to go and remind me that the Rams were in the Super Bowl a few years ago. Uh yes. So the Rams are good. Uh let's talk about a team that I'm not 100% sure I know they're good, but they are not as good as they are on paper. I think you know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about the Bucks. Tom Brady granted is 43, maybe even 44 years old. I'm not sure when his birthday is. He is old. He is showing that this year. Like, he's throwing a lot of really, really bad passes. But he still has enough that his weapons can really help him make up for that. I mean, you look at that offense, Gronkowski is doing things again, which is great. Mike Evans is still who he is. Rojo has looked really good this year. Um, They add Antonio Brown for whatever that's worth. And then on the defense, you've got Jason Pierre Paul. You've got superstars like all the way through this defense. This team should be a lot better than they are. But they do the Pittsburgh Steelers thing where they just play down to their competition sometimes. And in the few games where I've seen them go up against someone legit, they have not looked good. Like that game against the Saints a few weeks ago, they got absolutely steamrolled on national television. I don't know what to make of this team yet. Like I don't fully trust the Bucks. And I think if there's a team that's really primed. To, you know, again, if there's a team that I think is going to lose to one of these NFC East teams, it might be the Bucks.
2: Yeah, I think there's an adjustment
1: still happening for Tom Brady. Yes, he's old. That's a big part of the problem. That's why this narrative of, oh, who's better, Brady or Belichick? We'll find out this year. Well, no, they're both past <laughs> their prime. Okay. But, but Brady's old. I think he's still making an adjustment because the system in New England was so different from the one in Tampa Bay the system in New England, Tom had been there so long that the system was kind of built around him, right? The guys were coming in because Brady wanted to play with them or because Belichick or anyone else in that front office was like, "You know, I think this guy would work well with Tom." Now he's coming into the system, coming into the system of Bruce Arians, and Arians has had to make an adjustment as well because he likes he runs a different style of offense than Brady does. So I think there's still an adjustment happening there in Brady's old I like the pieces they have offensively. They just haven't come together just yet. This defense is still elite. I think Tampa Bay has a chance to really surprise some people in the postseason to be really, really good. It's all up to them on whether that happens or not. I think right now Tom Brady, and I, I'll take credit for this. I said this before the season. Tom Brady is the weak link on that team. He's old, and it's just... <laughs> I, I like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I don't like Tom Brady that much. And I don't think he really fits in with their system. I think a different quarterback, they're even better. They're still, even that being said, I don't know if they're quite on that elite tier yet. They're, stu- they're still really good,
0: though. Sure. So let me, let me ask you this really quickly. Before we move on to the top two teams in the NFC, which I do think are the two, obviously, the two most interesting teams in the NFC. Between the Seahawks, g- give me your order. The best to worst here. Between the Seahawks, the Rams, and the Bucks, where do you put those teams one through three?
1: Rams, Bucks, Seahawks. If you put a gun to my head,
0: okay, I'm I agree. With that. I 100% agree. I think because of that Seahawks secondary, I agree. So let's let me ask you this: If the odds came out in Vegas when the playoffs started, and it was some crazy line on the Rams' odds to win the or to make it to the Super Bowl, would you put any money on them, or do you think the top two teams in the NFC are too good? And you wouldn't feel comfortable betting any amount of money, regardless of what you might get back, on the Rams to make the Super Bowl as the third best team in the NFC. I
1: put some money on them. This NFC is pretty deep. It's
2: okay.
0: Not
1: terrific, but it's pretty deep. I think there's holes in the other two teams. I would feel fairly comfortable putting some money on
0: the Rams. I kind of agree. Like there is a small part of me that thinks, even though, even despite what ha- what's happening with these top two teams, so we'll get to here in just a second. I, I still think if the if the odds were good enough that i could make some real money by putting 50 or 100 dollars down on the rams i might do it let's talk now then about those top two teams let's start with the packers so the packers after getting a win this week are 9 and 3 they are going to finish their year out with detroit which should be a win carolina which should be a win tennessee which you know we'll we'll see which tennessee we get that day and chicago which will be a win they're in a good spot. And also, let's remember they beat the Saints in I believe it was week four. So this is a Packers team that could potentially steal that first round bye. They look very good this season. Um, they have the best scoring offense in the league. Their defensive metrics are pretty good. They're in the top 20 and everything there. I think they've been good enough. I think we've seen a couple of times where the Packers just kind of don't show up in a game. And, and you know, sometimes Aaron Rodgers will bail them out in that, sometimes that won't. But I still don't know what to make of this Packers team yet. I still don't know if I would say they're even the best team suited to potentially take down the Chiefs if that's who they meet in the Super Bowl.
1: No, I wouldn't say they are, but I think Aaron Rodgers is back, and he has some more help around him that's really helping him to be a better quarterback because their running game has actually existed, Mm -hmm. which is something that hasn't been the case the last few years. Aaron Jones has been an underrated player this season. He's been tremendous. I don't have a great beat on the Packers right now. Obviously, you know they're, they're, they're a good team. You, you don't get to this point in the NFC without being a good team. I just don't have a great beat on how good they are. I'll admit that. They're the team that out there in the NFC that I really don't have a feel for
2: right now.
0: Yeah, I tend to agree. The Packers are just really weird this year. Uh, they're good. Don't get me wrong. We know they're good. But let me just let me just take you through the the carnival ride version of their season this year. So they beat the Vikings by nine. They absolutely annihilate the Lions. They beat the Saints by seven, which is really good. That was a week where the Saints didn't have Michael Thomas, but they controlled that entire game. They beat the Falcons by fifteen. They got crushed by the Bucks in that thirty-eight to ten loss, which was really tough. But then they rebound. They get a fifteen point win over the Texans. They lose to the Vikings, which, again, doesn't really look good and is a little confusing. Um, They beat the 49ers. They only beat the Jaguars by four, and I believe that was the first week where they had Jake Luton. They lose to a really good Colts team. They knock out the Bears. They knock out the Eagles. Like, I don't know. There's not a single game on the schedule where I look at and I point to and I say, yeah, that's what the Packers are as a team. Like, they've just been too inconsistent this year. Um, I think they have handled their business for the most part against these teams that they're supposed to beat with the exceptions of maybe the Vikings and certainly that Jaguars game. But I just, I don't know how good the Packers are yet. And I don't know that we're going to find out until it happens. Like, I think we're going to have a point where we're like, oh, like that's, that's what's going on with the Packers. And that could be for better or for worse. That could be the Packers annihilating a team to go to the Super Bowl, or that could be the Packers really getting exposed in a round earlier than what we expect them to struggle in
1: that works to the Packers advantage though they're kind of an unknown quantity going into the playoffs and that's kind of what you want as a team just you no one's really sure about you and I think they're going to be a dangerous team in the playoffs one way or another
0: Sure. I'm going to make a prediction now, and I will reiterate this regardless of how the standings end up um, when we do our playoff preview when we get to that point. I think whoever gets that first week bye in the NFC, I think that's your your championship team. I think that's the team that goes to the Super Bowl this year. Um, And and you know what? If that's the Packers, I think it's them. If that's the Saints, I think it might be them too. Uh, This is a New Orleans team. We finally arrived. I was so out on this team in about week five. Like, they just didn't look good. I understood that they didn't have Michael Thomas. But at that point, you know, there was the loss to the Raiders. There was the loss to the Packers. They looked really bad. Breeze couldn't throw the ball down the field. They were over-relying on Kamara. The secondary was really bad. Since then, they have done nothing but what they need to do. And I get that their schedule has been kind of light during that time. But let me just throw some numbers at you. New Orleans is actually statistically the second most balanced team of the metrics that I've been throwing out there this tonight. They are fourth in scoring offense. They are second in rushing defense. They are fifth in passing defense, despite having a horrid secondary at times. And they're fifth in scoring, or sorry, fifth in scoring defense, fifth in rushing, in passing defense, sorry. Um, fifth in both of those metrics. They They've gotten it done. They have one of the best pass rushes I've seen. Um, obviously, Cameron Jordan has been his usual self, but Trey Hendrickson has also stepped up and done some really good things. Shy Tuttle has been good off the bench, and then you've got um, you know you've got a lot of good pieces up there. The linebacking core has been phenomenal. The secondary has been serviceable, and the offense just has so many weapons that once again, similar to what we saw last year when Teddy Bridgewater was at the helm, they're winning with Taysom freaking Hill as their starting quarterback. I know they haven't played an impressive schedule during that time, but they still have to go out there and win football games. And so far they've been able to do that. I'm not saying that this is the year that New Orleans finally gets it done in the playoffs because I know they have that history of choking all too well. They've hurt me the last three years. Um and I'm definitely not going to be, you know, overhyped heading into the postseason this year as I have two of the last three years, but this, this New Orleans team, man, if they're healthy going into the playoffs, they could be really, really good.
1: No, I, and typically I'd like to come on your podcast, Tyler, <laughs> and try to tell you why your team isn't that good. I like the Saints a lot. I really have no arguments. My concern going into the years, we knew Alvin Kamara, stud. This offensive line is, is serviceable to really good. Michael Thomas getting hurt was unfortunate, but the concern was Drew Brees. How is Drew Brees going to be? At times, he's shown his age. Of course he has. He's old. But I think Drew Brees has been a pleasant surprise. The question is, how will he come back from the rib injury? Those are always a little bit weird. Is the pain still there? How's he doing? But pre-rib injury, he was completing his passes at a solid clip, wasn't turning the ball over a lot. Granted, he wasn't throwing the ball downfield a ton, but when you got Slant Thomas rolling around there and Emmanuel (laughs) Sanders, who was solid in that role as well, you don't really need to, and you got, oh yeah, you've got Alvin Kamara behind you in the backfield as well. I really like this Saints team. I'm kind of in on them. It's unfortunate that they're so good, because then it doesn't, it's not a hot take that they're good, if that makes sense. But mm-hmm. I, I like
2: them a lot. I really have no complaints with the New Orleans Saints.
0: Yeah, and, and even the secondary. Like I said, the secondary is undoubtedly the worst part of this team, and yet they've, they've been solid. They've really finally figured out how to play a scheme that allows Marshawn Lattimore to shine. And, and not have somebody else giving up, like, everything all the time. Like, when we had Eli Apple, it was one of the most painful experiences of my entire life. I hated that man every time he took the field. Like, you could just see, like, the quarterback's looking around. He's like, oh, where's Eli? Oh, there he is. All right, I know where I'm throwing this ball. And the dude's going to be 15 yards open. Um, But yeah, I, I think New Orleans is good. I think, unfortunately, we're just in one of those years, man, where if they come up against, like, the Chiefs, if they make the Super Bowl, like, well... I don't want to see the secondary against Patrick Mahomes. We'll just say that. We're going to get a preview of that here in a bit because the Saints will play the Chiefs two weeks from now. Um, and I think that's going to be telling. But, yeah, I just, you know, I think, they're really, I think they're really solid this year. And if they can avoid having some kind of an incident like it seems they've had for the last three years, even if they just make the Super Bowl, I would be ecstatic as a fan. Just because, you know, I still would like to see Breeze get there. But I agree with you. I think the biggest question mark right now for the Saints is what do they look like once ta- or once Drew Breeze comes back um, and how is he feeling? So that, that'll that be kind of the interesting thing for me. Before we finish this whole thing up, we've been talking for a long time. We're going on almost two hours here. Um F- which, which team in the NFC here do you think is best suited? Like let's assume the Chiefs come out of the AFC. they're in the Super Bowl. Which team do you think gives us the best Super Bowl?
1: I am gonna go with the bucks.
0: Really? I'm gonna go with the best defense, I think, out of these teams. Okay give a, give a good chance to.
1: I mean, would I like to see Mahomes and Rogers go at it? Or are we asking the best Super Bowl to watch or the best
0: chance to beat the Chiefs? Best chance to beat the Chiefs is kind of what I meant by that, but I totally understand what you're saying. I'm I don't, I don't care about narratives or ratings. Like what do you think would which team do you think has the best chance to win the Super Bowl out of the NFC if they have to play the Chiefs? That's that's my question.
1: I think as Brady settles in to Tampa Bay, and I was out on Tampa Bay at the beginning of the year. I was one of those guys like, is this really gonna work? But the more I've seen from Tampa Bay, the more I've liked, even when they've looked a little sus at times. I think the saints are maybe a better football team than Tampa Bay. But as you've mentioned earlier, that secondary against Patrick Mahomes is a problem. And I think Tampa Bay has the best chance to at least put some defensive numbers up to stop Mahomes. They've got a good running game to attack this Kansas city defense with. It all depends on if Brady is able to get in sync with this offense and how is Tom Brady going to be at the end of the season being this old, if they can figure that out, and it's a big if, I think Tampa Bay, in an ideal setting, if you take all these teams say it's the ideal performance for these teams,
2: I think Tampa Bay has the best shot.
0: All right, fair enough. Um, my my only counter to that would be this. Tampa Bay this year, 24th in the league in passing defense. Um, and as I mentioned, New Orleans is 5th. The only reason that I think that the Saints might have a better chance is because one of the only teams that really did give the Chiefs problems this year has been the the Las Vegas Raiders. And they kind of rely on that same, you know, they've got a guy running over the middle, they've got Jacobs coming out of the backfield, they're going to do some cheeky things, if that makes sense. Um, And that's kind of what New Orleans is built on. But I do agree. I think that the Chiefs are going to be heavy favorites no matter who they play against. Um, I also think that Green Bay, if they can get some things tightened up in the secondary, I agree. Watching Rodgers against Mahomes, the the State Farm Super Bowl, would be an absolute joy. But we'll have to wait and see. Uh, We'll have plenty more coverage as this goes on. Again, keep in mind, we only have four weeks left in the regular season. Um, And after our two-week hiatus, we will be covering all of that in depth as we come down to the playoffs, but again, want to say thank you so much to you, Ethan. Uh, really quickly, anything else you wanted to add on the NFL before we wrap up this uh, this two hour podcast?
1: Yeah, only one more thing to add: the Seattle Seahawks today gave Colt McCoy his first win in the NFL since 2014. <laughs>
0: Oh man, that's uh, yeah, that's unfortunate. I still can't believe that, that I, I saw the score and I thought maybe it was like one of those like ah, ESPN goofed. And then I turned it on and I was like, nope, that's that's just the score of this game. Um, yikes, that's that's it. Uh, but yeah, Ethan, we will be sure to catch up with you after the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix a week from this or a week from today. Um, that will be an absolute blast. But want to say thank you once more for coming on the show and giving us uh, giving us two hours of your time.
2: More than happy. Hopefully, I'm talking about
1: Roman Grosjean's final Grand Prix next week. Hopefully, he's able to race. There's a chance.
0: Amen. Amen. And that will unfortunately just about do it for us here. That's about all the time that we have. Thank you so much for sticking with us. If you stuck with here, or if you were here for the entire uh, the entire two hours of that, a long show. But again, our first show back. From a two-week hiatus, we'll have another one coming at you a week from now. So, again, want to say thank you so much for tuning in. This has been the TVH Sports Podcast. For Tyler Henry, for Ethan Jordan, we will see you next week with another episode on the TVH Sports Podcast here on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Have a good day.